0: Everybody, welcome to another Hoss Talks Foss. And today I am here with Jono Bacon. Now, as you know, I love open source, and Jono has been a long time uh, you know, person who's been in charge of many different communities, uh, you know, uh, Canonical, GitHub, you know, XPRIZE, Open Advantage, all kinds of different things. He's been a author of uh, a couple books, People Powered and the Art of Community. And uh I thought Talking about open source, we have to talk about where it all starts, which is with the community. So I brought in Jono to talk with us. Hi, Jono. How are you doing? Hello.
1: I'm doing great. Thank you ha- for having me on. I'm I feel honored. So appreciate it.
0: Now, Jono, I've seen you at several different yeah. conferences over the years, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back in person. I don't know about you, but. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's been a couple of years now since we you know we've actually been at conferences in person. So uh, I'm sure that that has impacted you know everybody in the world. But you know how have you been during this COVID time with all of these virtual conferences? I mean, ha- have you been keeping up? Yeah, yeah it, it's,
1: it's 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 been um, it's been interesting. I mean, everyone's got their own COVID experience, right? And it's um, it's a difficult subject to talk about because. I mean, obviously, and sadly, so many people have lost their lives um, uh, all over the world, and it's continuing to rage on. And, you know, me and my little family, we're very lucky. You know, we live in suburbia. We got plenty of room. Um, and my wife and I both work from home. Um, so we've we've honestly we we haven't had it anywhere near as bad as most people. Um, and... Due to the nature of my work, um, it's actually ended up being, uh, if I'm being honest with you, it's actually ended up being good for my overall learning, uh, if, if you will. Like, um, I've, I've kind of spent more time focusing on kind of the marketing side and, and virtual events and, and really trying to see this as an opportunity to learn about how we, we all kind of collaborate together when we're in this kind of compressed situation where everyone's stuck at home. Um, so I've actually found that, you know, the pandemic is actually, while it's been, um, of course, it's been horrible for most people, um, you know, we've been safe uh, first, which is the most important thing for me but i've actually learned a lot and it's actually been a productive time weirdly so um i feel um unnecessarily lucky in that regard you know we we haven't had anyone who that we know that's that's close to us that's passed away uh we've not dealt with any bereavement like that so yeah so that's kind of where it's been at and it's it's but one thing that has been i think this has been the busiest year i've ever experienced in my life i've worked worked more than I can imagine and doing really fun stuff as well. Like I was a little worried at the beginning when the pandemic kicked off that, you know, who, who are the first people that get, get cut in a pandemic? It's, it's consultants, it's contractors. Right. Um, and it didn't impact my business one, one iota. Um, um, and it actually made it easier in many ways to work with my clients, you know, cause I wasn't sitting
0: on freeways stuck in traffic and all the rest of it. So, yeah. And- and your business is helping other people build their communities. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, and and that's why you know I, I wanted to, to to talk with you on the on the the, the podcast today because you know uh, being in the community space and you know presenting at several conferences virtually, of course, over the last you know year, yeah. I have heard more and more people talk about you know uh, how to build a community and and ask questions. Specifically, uh, everybody has a little bit different goal. But everyone yeah. is looking to tap into the power of community. Now, I thought to myself, you know, who's been doing community since community was really a thing? And that's you. So that's why, you know, here we are talking. Um, you know, it seems like everyone out there is looking for that community team, the DevRel team, the advocacy team, evangelists, however you want to define them. But what do you think is driving to this rise in in this the popularity of, of this particular um, trend. I mean, you know, why? Why uh, all of a sudden are people taking note of community? Whereas before, community was kind of like, oh yeah, we just need that guy who goes to conferences and talks. Before,
1: yeah. I, so I think there's there's some kind of more zoomed in things that are happening, and then I think there's a zoomed out thing that's happening. So I think the zoomed in thing that's happening is that. Um, um, And I think the pandemic contributed towards this is that certainly, you know, in parts of the world where the Internet is prevalent and a lot of people have got the ability to get online and especially get into rich mediums like video chats and whatever, whatever else is. I think a lot of people's eyes were opened up to just what you can do online. I think a lot of people weren't familiar with it. I mean, just look at what happened with Zoom. Like Zoom became a household name and, and a lot of people that I am connected to, like friends outside of tech and things like that, had never heard of Zoom. They didn't have any need to do video conferencing, really. So I think one element was, wow, look look at what's possible when we're pushed into a situation where we need to um, be human with each other online. Um, And I think that's one element. There's also just kind of like um, an overall trend towards people, um, you know, using social technology, right? And this kind of connects to the Zoomed out view, which... When I when I put out People Powered uh, in November two thousand and nineteen, I think it was. You know, one thing I, by the way, I'd recommend is don't put a book out just before a global pandemic.
0: <laughs> it really, well, why people you- have time to read, right? You know,
1: <laughs> well, there is that. There is that. Um, but one of the things I was, I, you know, I I, I had a. PR team that was like booking me on just I must have done like sixty or seventy podcasts in the space of about four months. It was absolutely insane. And one of the things I was talking to a lot of people about, who were brand new at community, was you know people are growing up now. Young people have, have grown up where they've only ever known the internet, and and specifically only ever known a social internet. They've known Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and all the rest of it. So uh, the what's happened there is that it changes the relationship that people have with each other and with the brands that they care about. Right. You know, back in the early days, if you had a, if you did business with a company, then you, and you had an issue with something, you'd call their 1-800 phone number. um, And they'd help you. And then the internet happened and people started sending email to their customers. Um, And, but it was always broadcast. It was always there communicating with you. And now we've got a world where we expect to be able to, you know, take a United flight, have terrible service, and then complain about it on Twitter and get a response Um, is kind of the world we live in. So I think that's changing what companies... Uh, Have to react to in terms of how they build communities, and and then you hear all these amazing success stories of Harley Davidson, of Lego, of you know the SAP community, all kinds of communities that have that have that have grown up and done great stuff. And I think a lot of companies like, well, we want that, we want that too. So that's why I think we're seeing more and more of a demand for it. The, The tricky thing with communities is that it's like. It's witchcraft, you know, it's it's incredibly confusing to most people how you take a bunch of strangers on the Internet, bring them together in a way that will make them want to come, keep coming back. It's really complex. And I think a lot of people fail at it and therefore they struggle with it. So,
0: well, but isn't that a little bit because there are so many different outcomes or goals that, that people end up with? I mean, across the span of companies that I've talked to, um, you know, every company has a different outcome of why they're involved in community, why they're looking for a DevRel yeah. person, why they're looking for, you know, a community team. You know, some want just raw adoption. Just I just want people to use my stuff. That's what I yeah. want. That's how I measure success is more people using the better. Or some people want actual, like in the open source space, they want code contributions, They want, you know, they want people to come in and contribute code and provide feedback or or fix bugs or whatever. That's what they set up for. And and others just want awareness. Um, Yes. And so you have like these different companies all focused on the same term, but want (laughs) vastly different things because, I mean, this is where. I've seen, you know, community teams, DevRel teams exist in marketing, exist in engineering, exist in product, exist like in every type of department across an organization. Yeah. I, you know, why why is there so much difference in, in how people think about this and what those outcomes are? You know, and, you know, I, I, I've seen it personally where someone gets into it and they want, let's say, code contributions, they can't get them. So, you know, they might get tons of awareness, but they're like, I don't care about awareness. I just want code contributions. Why aren't you getting code contributions? Right. Where, does, where does that kind of settle in? Like what, what, what what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I,
1: it's a great question as well. I, I think there is um, a couple of components to this. Like one is what is the, f- the core fundamental motivation that individuals have in what they do? Um, you know, there's like, Like if you think about yourself and I think about myself and just the way we operate our lives, there are the things that we say we want to do. And then there are things we actually want. Right. And I think these are often two separate things. You know, like, for example, I came to the realization um, back in 2015 that I don't like working for companies. Like I don't want to work for a single company. It's... For various reasons. I like building my own thing. I like having control over my own destiny. I don't like trudging into an office all day. I find commuting to be not just annoying but infuriating. And I realized, despite being in a bit of a rat race for many years, I just didn't like that. Right. And and I think a lot of people have similar things like that that they define. Like another thing for me is. Music is really important. I mean, family is the most important thing, like my family are everything to me, but outside of that to me is the, you know, the base of the pyramid, right. <laughs> of the, of the hierarchy of needs.
0: Yeah.
1: But you know, above that, like, um, com- control of my own destiny and, um, creativity in whether it's work or whether it's making music with Baron Carton, whatever else, uh, is important. And I think with, with any community, Um, Whether it's a a free software project or whether it's a commercial community, there is a fundamental motivator behind it. right? I think, especially in free software and in open source, the fundamental motivator um, for most people I've ever met is twofold. It's I want to do real interesting stuff and solve interesting technical problems. And I want to have an impact. Like I want to make the world better and free software and open source is a way in which I can do so. Whereas with some companies, a lot of my clients, for example, when I talk to them, um, you know, and they say, yeah, we want to, we, you know, we want to build a really compelling, dynamic, engaging community for people. And when I dig beneath the surface, what they actually want is brand recognition. They just want to be famous. You know, they want people to know who they are. And with some, their, their underlying motivation is money. It's revenue. Um... So I think we need to zone in on, on, on what those things are. The tricky thing is that I think with some community folks, there's a snootiness about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I want to build a community and the ultimate goal is to make money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think where the criticism can be applied is how you go about achieving that goal. Um, um, so to me, we just got to be honest with our motivations. And the good news is that communities can, can f- facilitate all of these different things, mm-hmm. as long as they're designed in the right way.
0: Well, and what's interesting is some of this is also being driven by the diverse companies that are implementing these, these community teams. Now, certainly as you, you know, you, you mentioned some, you know, examples of whether it's retail or, um, you know, consumer products building communities to try and, you know, uh, address like social questions or, you know, be able to to have that presence and connect with the people who are users of the product. But long, you know, uh, ha, has the community, especially in the software space and the technical space, been uh, heavily associated with um, either that kind of uh, you know support side of the business, or even like the open source side of you know the, the, the you know companies? Yeah. But we're starting to see that. Evolve into companies that aren't necessarily technology companies first, right? So, banks, insurance companies, you know, oh, yeah. financial institutions, they're looking to adopt more of that openness, more of that collaboration. Now, w- what's interesting it, is some of them are looking to just do it internally because they're such large organizations. It's like we've got 50,000 people, so we need a community to understand internally each other. And then you've got others who really do want to collaborate externally. Um, and, and so there's this, this weird kind of intersection that I'm starting to see quite a bit as well, where, you know, you, you've, you've got, you know, the, this, this company that you're like, why do you need uh you know, an Ospo office, right? Why do you need an open source project office? Why, wh- yeah. you know, what are you trying to do? Like, I, I don't understand. And, um, you know, I've started to see where, you know, a lot of, Companies that have classically been open source, they're tending to be more guarded and less open in their development, whereas a lot of these traditional organizations are like, oh, we want to adopt those open source philosophies, contribute back code, and hopefully get other people to help, you know, make this project better, um, get more traction out of it. Um, And I think that's, you know, a big difference between how you focus your efforts. You mentioned, like, some companies just want to make more money, Um, you know, whereas other companies... You know, this isn't their main product, right? This is just something that they're doing. Like, you know, Facebook famously gives away a ton of open source software, um, you know, or, or other companies like that. That they're just looking to contribute and build relationships across multiple companies to help build better products. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. a weird, weird thing, right? It, I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that so one of the things that was a real dramatic realization to me, and this was about this was in about 2008 I think it was 2009 when I when I discovered this is you know when I when I got interested in free software and open source back in 1998 uh, so 10 years prior um I had never really experienced a lot of community right beyond going to my local metal bar and seeing bands with my friends um which was a community in itself, but it was more of just a bunch of mates hanging out. Um, um, And so therefore I associated community with open source and free software. And it took me 10 years to realize that is not the norm. Like what we have in the open source free software world is weird. Most communities aren't like that (laughs) in any shape or semblance of the word. (laughs) You know, like the idea that, I mean, you've probably seen this, the amount of times um, someone just has an idea and then just starts building it, right, is in itself an unusual concept, right? I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll give you a stupid example. So we had an Ubuntu Developer Summit in um, Dallas, Texas, and uh, I was hanging out with, with my best buddy, Stuart Langridge, who I do a podcast with, Bad Voltage. And um, uh, we were hanging out um, one morning. um having a cup of coffee and just talking and we were joking about um so Mark Shuttleworth who was the founder of Canonical right Right. had had taken to wearing these white pants and they looked stupid they looked he looked like he was in the Bee Gees and uh So we were kind of joking about these white pants and, and I, I was joking to shot with like Mark's face about this direct. I was like, "What is, what is happening with those pants? They're ridiculous. And it's like, the style general, I'll teach you about it one day. And I was like, okay. And I was trying to bribe the guy who ran the AV for our event that when we kicked off the morning of, of UDS, I wanted him to play Saturday night fever by the Bee Gees when Mark went onto the stage. Right. Of course he knew that his job was not worth it was worth a lot more than my casual trolling so he politely declined. So that's when Stuart and I were talking about we were I was I was uh maintaining a project called Jacosha back then which was a, a a music production tool for gnome that uh, is built on Gstreamer and Gstreamer which is an audio video platform like an API uh, had a feature in it um called network clocks. So if you play an audio file on your computer and I play one on my computer, they can be synced up, GStreamer will sync them up so they play at exactly the same time. So I was saying to Stuart, wouldn't it be hilarious if we wrote a bit of software um, where you press a button and then it triggers everybody's network clocks on their laptop and let's say there's a hundred people all running the software and through their laptop speakers it plays Saturday Night Fever at the same time when he comes on stage and uh and he was like that is a ridiculous concept and we sat down we started writing it and we wrote this I can't even remember what it's called now but we wrote a first version of this and it kind of worked we never actually went through with it for the event Mark would have thought it was hilarious because Mark Shuttleworth has got a wicked sense of humor but what I loved about that was That's a good example of free software and open source in action. Someone has a random idea and then you just go and build it. And, you know, if you've got, if you want to build a community around, you know, conservation or, you know, around, uh, I dunno, merchandising or, or around music or anything else, it's not as easy to generate the thing that brings people together, you know, and that's one of the things that's so unique about free software and open source and. Other companies are now and other organizations have seen the power of, of community, but we have to do it in a different way. We can't just replicate the principles within the open source world. They don't just carbon copy move over to these other areas. So
0: Yeah. Well, and I and I think that you know people are starting to realize that there is some real power there. But I think one of the big struggles that I've seen a lot of people, you know, see is, hey, this is cool. Like you can you can develop these things, you can move fast, you know, you connect with your user base. Um, but eventually there, because there, there, there reaches a point where someone starts to ask those questions that are really hard to answer, which is stuff like, well, how do I measure what I'm getting out of, you know, these efforts? Yeah. How do I measure community? Right. Like, like, uh, you know, it's great that you're out there, you know, doing these fun, cool, engaging things. You're talking to people on Twitter. How do I measure like If I'm getting my money's worth, let's just be honest. It's mainly like people who are financially motivated asking the questions around like, where's my budget going in this company? (laughs) Um, And it generally takes about a year or two from a company launching a community thing to say like, what's the outcome that I'm getting from this money that I just invested? And, you know, it's interesting that the two sides that I've seen measure, uh, people measure, you know, obviously if you're really focused on the code contributions, you know, PRs, bugs, you know, like you look at the GitHub statistics and you're like, Ooh, Um, whereas the other side is, Oh, I'm going to look at downloads or page views or, you know, Twitter followers, or, you know, like you're going to look at some metric that's, you know, um, you know, a quantitative metric on like, you know, I get more, so more is potentially good. Um, but there seems to be like, you know, this, this debate on which is, which is reasonable. And there's a lot of yeah. like uncertainty around what should be measured. And, and I'm curious, you know, what, what have you seen, you know, what, what's your recommendation in terms of measurements and trying to figure out how to show the effectiveness of community? Oh,
1: wow. This is, this is such a big subject and and there's so much <laughs> in this. Uh, <clears throat> so this is my take on it. Um, I think that we have a, a disease that is um, spreading around the world uh, and it is data fetishism. There is an obsession right now with trying to measure all of the things. And there is a trendiness around creating these insane analytics dashboards that measure every conceivable thing that can change in a, community open source project whatever else and the idea is that or the justification for this is if we measure everything then if we ever need to reference that data we've got it and we can evaluate it and and that gives that's a useful tool that we can use but to me that is no different to buying a bomb shelter and filling it with macaroni and cheese in the case that there is a zombie apocalypse occurs right it's 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 work that ultimately will rarely actually be useful later on. So the way I look at it is there's two pieces to this. There's what do you measure and then how do you measure it? And I think the first thing we need to differentiate between is like, what do we measure uh, and what are the most important things to measure? Right? So the one thing that's been bandied around in recent years is the ROI of community, the return on investment of community. and I think it's a misnomer um, and the reason why is because uh, the real value of community and the reason why they're so magical and I don't uh, I'm not using that in an overly kind of poetic sense communities really are genuinely magical because they bring together the best of what makes us human beings you know the my career wouldn't exist if it wasn't for communities um Uh, You know, the things I've learned, everything that I'm talking about today has a lineage to somebody else that I've met in my life, Um, the the real credit for it. And um, so the the magic of communities is immeasurable Um, in the same way that, you know, we don't measure love. Like, I don't measure my my love for my wife. I'm not saying, well, today you I have... You th- don't
0: have a spreadsheet for that? I do. I mean, yeah. <laughs>
1: I, today,
0: uh, she kissed me 17
1: times, and the average duration of each kiss was 3.4 seconds. And, you know, <laughs> well, we, we it's, it's completely insane to, to, to do that. Like, we just accept that love is a thing, and we feel it, and it's good. Um, and communities in terms of the, the experience, the feel of community is not something you can measure. You can't measure what a great song sounds like, what a great movie feels like. You can't measure what great food tastes like. It's a sensation that we experience as human beings. So the ROI of that, I think, is stupid. And I think we need to stop talking about that. Um, it's It's a complete dead end as far as I'm concerned. What I think is different is is how we drive towards success in communities, and we should measure that, right? So for example, um, if you launch a forum, measuring the right things to determine that you're, you're building your forum in the right way, you're generating the right kind of results, should absolutely be measured. And this is usually where the litany of dashboards comes in. And my view is very simple, which is, ask yourself, what are the questions we don't have answers to? And then pick the smallest number of metrics that you can select to generate enough information to answer that question. So, for example, if we're talking about a GitHub repo and you don't know whether, you know, you're efficient enough as a project, which a lot of GitHub projects, they just don't know that. Well, I would want to track, OK, um, how many pull requests am I getting submitted? What is the average time to the first response in that pull request? And then what is the average duration of a pull request being reviewed and then merged in? Like those are three data points that will be able to sufficiently answer that question. And then I can start moving the needle in terms of each of those different things. With, with forums, I generally will track four things. I track page views, signups, daily active users, percentage of daily active users, and the number of likes because uh, that gives me a sense of sentiment. You know, an average yeah. forum will give you fifty things to measure. I don't care about those things. <laughs> I care about those four things. So that's so tens- it's to keep it simple. Keep it simple, yeah. And 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 we don't have to measure everything. This is one of the things that drives me nuts about the society that we live in right now is is you get all these docs on the internet who are trying to turn everything into an algorithm. Like there's a guy who I know who shall remain nameless who has got a workflow for absolutely everything. And he is—he kind of talks in a very braggadocious manner about, oh, we're going to have a team meeting. Well, this is the workflow. Oh, we're going to have a meetup. This is the workflow. And everything's got a workflow. And to me, it it takes the creativity and the fun out of it. We don't have to have a workflow for everything. Like sometimes I think we want to do good work, but I think to a certain degree, we just, you know not everything can be boiled down into a, into a recipe. And, uh,
0: yeah. Well, and I think from a community perspective, isn't that part of the whole benefit of, of the community? I mean, community is all about building the sense of belonging, feeling like you want to be part of, and you want to, you know, contribute and you feel like, you know, there's a connection, right? I mean, that's really what you're talking about. And the more that you, potentially do everything as a, as an automaton or a robot, the less um, human yeah. connection you actually get. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that, that's an interesting you know thing, but, you know, and, and this is where, I mean, I've seen quite a bit of, you know, uh, community development over the last few years where, you know, you, you'll see, you'll have kind of a group that's more on that. Let's reach out and, 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 you know, be touchy feely. That's, that's heavily on the DevRel side, right? The advocacy side where you're out there, you're teaching people, you're talking, you're, you're trying to connect. And then you've got the group of the operations people in the, um, uh, the community space who are very data driven, who it's like, I need to get, you know, 15,000 Twitter followers by the end of the month. I need to, you know, uh, get this many active users on my forum. Uh, and, and so you do have a split because, you know, there, there are, you know, people who are very focused on trying to uh, teach people and make those personal connections. And then there are a lot of other people who are just there to run the workflows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and you get both in, and both are needed to some extent. Um, but I think that if any one has too much balance, you, you, you tend to lose. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. What the other one provides, right? I mean, yeah, right. If, it, if I'm going,
1: Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, everything to me, everything can be compared to music. Uh, (laughs) You know, and it's like it's like Eric Clapton once said, you know, great music. It's not the notes that you play. It's the notes that you don't play. And, um, you know, imagine if we wrote music in the same way that we sometimes think about business, you know, like um, when I think about even a formulaic band like ACDC or a very formulaic band right? Every song sounds like some variation of the same kind of thing. Um, and you could probably create a mathematical equation like the, I don't know, the, the, Ang- the Angus theorem or something like that. Um, I think somebody
0: actually did that where they developed a program to develop ACDC music. I think there's a YouTube video where, where they did that. Where they just output a whole new song.
1: Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't surprise me, but what makes them so unique as a band with, with ACDC specifically is the way they play the songs. And, uh, and to me, the greatest music in the world is where you break the formula. Like I do this as a musician, I've got a a music project called Baron Carter. And often when I'm writing music, I'll get to a point and I'll think, this is what I hear next in my head, but that's my algorithm telling me what comes next in the, in the, in the, you know, in the list. Um, and then I deliberately say to myself, no, pick something else whereas in business often it's like this is the steps that you go through this is what we documented into our standards of practice and the you know all this kind of stuff and it's, it's in our jira and it's like i think we have to we have to mix science and art together and the the most enjoyable things in the world are where people break the path you know so yeah so yeah
0: yeah so i did i did search there is a bot out there to generate acdc music if you're uh, interested it is. I will that. You will look now, because you have to listen to the bot-generated ACDC and say, like, oh, yeah, that yeah. actually does sound like an ACDC. I
1: heard uh, an, like, an AI bot that generated death metal, and it was actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> was it? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, all right. Well, there, there you go. Go. Not too bad, yeah, so... All right. Well, great. So Jono, I want to be respectful of time. I want to thank you for sitting down and chatting with us a little bit about communities and where you see, you know, things going. Um, You know, I I do appreciate you hanging out with us for a little bit of time here Um, and hopefully you have a great rest of your day.
1: Likewise. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.